20 years ago, Odyssey changed the putting game when they introduced the white hot insert. Now the most iconic, most played, and most sought after putter insert of all time is back in the new white hot OG. White Hot OG has the same mythical combination of sound, feel, and performance as the original, but with modern upgrades that are available in classic head shapes like the two ball, the rosy, and the number seven. White Hot OG, legendary then, iconic now. See the new lineup at callawaygolf.ca. As e-commerce has accelerated during the pandemic, there's been a lot of talk about how retail businesses now need both a digital online presence and a physical presence to make sales. Some people call this fidgetal, though my guest this week describes it as the omni-channel. I'm Gabe Friedman, and this week on Down to Business, I spoke to Dax De Silva, founder and chief executive of Lightspeed Commerce, a Montreal-based software company that helps restaurants, hospitality outlets, and other businesses with their e-commerce, including managing inventory, managing purchases from suppliers, online sales, and in-person sales. At the time of this recording, the company had about $17.4 billion in market capitalization on the Toronto Stock Exchange, up from about $3.5 billion at the start of 2020. I talked to De Silva about the incredible growth his company has experienced during the pandemic, as well as his recent efforts outside of Lightspeed to spur collective action around environmental conservation and his role as part of a coalition that's meeting later this month and calling for bold solutions to help lift Canada's economy. As always, the interview was edited for clarity and brevity. Dax De Silva, thanks so much for joining me on Down to Business today. Thanks for having me, Gabriel. Well, it's a pleasure to have you on. Uh, your company, Lightspeed Commerce, as it's now called, it's been around for really for years, but it's only in the past year or so that it's really entered the ranks as one of Canada's largest companies. I wanted to ask you, how do you explain what your company does when you're talking to friends or family or people who aren't necessarily familiar? Right. So Lightspeed Commerce, we provide a cloud uh, platform for the one-stop platform for retail, hospitality businesses, the the more complex businesses to to really operate their business and uh, and be able to scale their businesses. And so we're talking about SMBs, you know, globally. You know, we have, we have customers in about a hundred different countries. The average customer is doing about six hundred thousand in in, uh, in transaction volume a year. So it means that they are doing sales in store, on location, and also online. Uh, so we are helping them do the blended uh, selling online and physical that is required by today's economy. It's basically a software system you developed. Yes. Helps do what cash registers used to do. Exactly. So it, it does all of all of the transactions and all of the management of the inventory and the staff and operations, but it helps them in the physical world and also on the digital space. And it gives them one system to manage all of that. Excellent. Excellent. And so... You're an example of a company that's seen tremendous growth during the pandemic. Since March 2020, when the pandemic started, I think your stock price has almost gone up six times from like $20 per share around to about $120 per share. What have these past months been like? So, you know, our solutions have become an aspirational solution to a must-have, you know, absolute necessity during the pandemic because we have a system that we've, we've been calling omni-channel that we've been preaching the value of, of having one system that can, that can manage both physical and digital. Once the pandemic came a reality for businesses, they had to light up their digital channels if they hadn't already done so. Uh, and that became a lifeline. It's it's become a acceleration to um, to the model that Lightspeed is uh, is proposing. Consumers want to shop both physical and on online. 
Right. Now, we've had people come on the show before who've said this was earlier in the pandemic that it's going to accelerate trends like digital adoption in stores. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, your company, is it's proof of that, that more companies went out and sort of digitized their back-end sort of inventory management and online sites and things like that and used Lightspeed to do it, essentially? Essentially. And I think that whether it's retail, where we're, we've always been very strong, or hospitality, that's a reality for all of these different sectors of the economy. Uh, SMBs are having to adopt technology rapidly uh, if they hadn't already. Uh, and those that are adopting uh, platforms like Lightspeed are, uh, are thriving because consumers are noticing that they get all the flexibility and they have all of the ways to interact with these businesses and, and shop and dine with these businesses. And that just levels the playing field with, with these local community businesses and let's say some of the e-commerce giants, you know, the Amazons and, and, and so on. But, you know, we want to make sure that our community businesses have that technology edge. What, what has it been like to see so much growth during a pandemic? How was that sort of managing that type of kind of explosion of growth? The rapid growth during this period has been, been interesting. We've acquired a number of companies during the pandemic. And I think the consolidation of a lot of cloud-based players around the world has been really important for Lightspeed's growth um, because all of that scale has meant that we can do much bigger and more ambitious and more accelerated things with our business, including payments and also our supplier strategy so that we can tie together the supply for the retail stores and the restaurants that we serve uh, more tightly with the businesses so that they have some supply chain advantages. So to all of that work that we've been able to do during the pandemic, I think, is, has really contributed to the growth. Uh, and of course, we're a strong organic grower because the system what we're producing is, is very much in demand. I mean, you just talked a little bit about sort of the, getting scale as a company. I mean, you're an example of a homegrown Canadian tech company, but a lot of software entrepreneurs choose to move to the U.S. to start their business because it's a bigger market, because it has scale. You didn't do that. And I'm wondering how much it affected Lightspeed and how much you may have second-guessed that decision to start stay in Canada when you started your business. Yes. You know, Canada is an amazing place to headquarter your tech company. We operate, uh, have offices in, in all over Europe, all through Asia-Pacific. And of course, in Canada and the United States, we have a good tech ecosystem and we've been able to grow tremendously and, and have some of the advantages of, of being a Canadian company. But it hasn't limited us in terms of uh, international expansion. Canadian companies are well regarded around the world and all of the acquisitions that we've done have been easier or, or supplemented by the fact that, uh, you know, I think that we are comfortable as Canadians by working with people from many different cultures and incorporating the best uh, into, uh, into the whole. Uh, and that's a, that's a little bit of the magic of Lightspeed is uh, the diversity that has enriched the company is, uh, is one of our key strengths. And were there any disadvantages to being here? Uh, I'm a pretty optimistic person in general. So I, I kind of kind of see all the advantages. Um, I, I think one of the challenges, that, if I'm to be honest, is that when we are trying to uh, make our name globally in the in the U- in the U.S. market, for example, we have a tremendous number of customers in the U.S. Our, most of our customers are there, but to create the the kind of noise that gets you the kind of attention that takes a lot of work, right? And so, so you know, we 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 started with our TSX IPO uh, in 2019, and then we listed in the New York Stock Exchange 2020. Actually, you know, in the midst of the pandemic, and you know, there's there's been many steps to elevating our profile uh, in the U.S., but you know, I think that we're we're getting there. Yeah, absolutely. And just one more question on this issue of the Canada and the, and the tech ecosystem here. But there, there is this ongoing debate about tech and immigration and the impacts of allowing big U.S. companies or big European companies or big Asian companies to set up shop here. And on one side, there's some people who say this siphons talented 
engineers and other uh, professionals away from homegrown Canadian companies. And on the other side, there are people who say, well, it also brings in talented engineers to Canada who, for whatever reason, maybe can't or don't want to go to the U.S. for one reason or another, but want to be in North America. Do you have a strong opinion about that issue? Um, I do think that U.S. companies that have set up a shop in Canadian cities have definitely trained Canadians in some of the systems and the infrastructure that benefits local companies when some of those folks do come into our companies. We've seen that happen. Uh, we've seen the, the the advantage it brings. Of course, there is always uh, the danger that your your best people can be poached. It's important for us to make sure that we have great working environments, exciting missions, and, you know, part of what we've done as a, as a reaction is, you know, we just rolled out something called PX, people experience. So it's a recognition that uh, the people want to um, have more remote work in their life, uh, but they also enjoy the gathering of, of offices. And so hybrid, very important. And we even offer, uh, you know, employees the ability for 60 days of the calendar year to work in a completely different location and still stay within the tax jurisdictions. You know, by being creative, you can offer some of the best of, of the flexibility that generation of workers is looking for and, and be able to compete with foreign companies. I think it's up to, up to us as Canadian companies to make a compelling reason for employees to create the best work of their lives at our firms. You know, to come back to your question, should the government be subsidizing a lot of these foreign companies to come into the country? To, I think that, that we should be on a level playing field. And uh, maybe that isn't as necessary to have all of those subsidies. I see. Are there subsidies in particular that you think we could target? I mean, any any subsidies that uh, that are given to foreign tech companies to set up and and you know, tax rebates and so on in in Canada that we don't receive ourselves, I think is you know something that we should should be looked at. A level playing field is what you're talking about. Yeah, absolutely. You mentioned you have the 60 day work away from the office offering that you give people. What is your hybrid plan yet? Have you guys totally figured it out? Yeah, it's called PX People Experience. And it's, it's been very well received at the company. We spent a lot of time thinking it through because we've seen other tech companies. There's some tech giants that have had some challenges, uh, you know, with, with workers going anywhere they want in the world for any amount of time. And then in the end, there's there's ch- tax challenges for those employees. <laughs> so, And that ends up being um, a, a challenge that the, the company is obligated to help them with. So it's better to, to create a framework where employees can work with their managers to plan their year. You know, if you want to spend a couple of months of the year, those 60 days in Germany with some extended family, or you want to be in a different, in a totally different environment, all of that is considered in PX plan. That's just something that I think in order to compete for the current workforce, those are the kinds of ideas that are really resonating and sparking the imagination of potential prospects. Yeah. I want to pivot for a second. On Tuesday, you announced a $40 million pledge to an environmental initiative that you called Age of Union, which according to the press release is based on the immediate urgency to save the planet and its threatened species and ecosystems. Can you tell me for a minute what this is? Yeah. So in, in 2019, I published a book called Age of Union, and it talked about the real separation that humanity has from, from nature and some of the challenges that we run into. And we're seeing the outcomes as we see ecological crises on a weekly basis. And I think that one of the dangers that we face is that we all give up. And so Age of Union is the opposite of that. It's trying to inspire action by showing a successful change. And so what, what we're doing with the 40 million is there's five debut projects. In, uh, in five different countries, Canada, of course, uh, but also Peru, DR Congo, Indonesia, and Haiti. And you know, we're, we're starting these, uh, these, these five projects. It's on-the-ground conservation projects with a lot of scrappy biologists and conservationists that are really you know, making impact. And I think that they are stories that will inspire 
everybody to realize that individuals can make a difference. And so that's the kind of project that we think that we want to fund. And this is the first five, you know, I think our, our ambitions are very big with this. But we think that by seeing these stories, I think that it's going to ignite everybody to think about the way that each, each one of us can actually use our own abilities to start acting for the environment and, you know, grow in that as time goes on. Because I think that we all need to participate or we're not going to have the right outcomes that we all, we all know we, we need to have here. Yeah. Maybe just a little bit more detail. Many people have heard of the St. Lawrence River, which is, I think, the project in Canada. Yeah. Can you give a little detail about what your project hopes to accomplish? Yeah, so we're working with Nature Conservancy of, of Canada on a restoration project along the St. Lawrence River. And, you know, I look at the St. Lawrence River from from my house, and uh, and I think that there's 80% of, of, of the Quebec population lives along the river. Um, a lot of people aren't even aware, and I wasn't even aware that all of our water, drinking water, comes from the pure depths of the St. Lawrence. Yeah, so there's the the purest de- the the deepest parts of the St. Lawrence is where the purest water is, and and that water's pumped, and that's the water that we drink. And I guess being a British Columbian, a native British Columbian originally, I now live in Montreal. You know, our, our water came from the glaciers and from the, the runoff from the snow. So we drink the water of the St. Lawrence. We are 70% the St. Lawrence since uh, human beings are 70% water. I don't think that we think about the river very much. And so I was, I was inspired by visiting the river last summer with the biologist from Nature Conservancy and seeing um, how the river, uh, the river water that comes down through Montreal originally from the Great Lakes, but through Montreal and out towards the openings of the St. Lawrence where you have whales, you have humpback whales, you even have blue whales, belugas, yeah, up towards the Gas Bay. And so there's an area that is a, the kidney of the St. Lawrence, the filtration system of the St. Lawrence. It's all the wetlands before Lac St. Pierre. And this is the area where we're doing a lot of the work, which is we're restoring the wetlands, we're buying back farmland, restoring the shorelines, you know, buying back land to, you know, essentially a wildlife corridor and a purification system for this this river, which is one of the largest freshwater estuaries in the world. So it's something to be proud of in terms of an ecosystem, but it requires that we dedicate some resources to. For sure. And $40 million, that's more money than most people will ever make. Obviously, you can afford it, but how long were you planning this and how did you reach this decision to put this money into these particular causes? So... I've always believed that conservation was going to be a big part of what I wanted to have as a main focus, you know, uh, and I think that now is now is the right time. I, I think there's an urgency around the planet that that requires us to get active. Um, and so no time like the present. During the pandemic, I released the uh, Age of Union as a free ebook and free audiobook because people were at home. And I thought, you know, we're in this mess because the way that we're disconnected from other species and, and from nature and all the, all of the pandemics come from factory farming, whether it's, whether it's farmed animals or wild animals, as it was the case in Wuhan. And we're not connected to that reality. You know, we're not connected to nature. Um, and this is dangerous. And so putting out Age of Union as a free ebook put me in touch with a lot of these conservationists. That's when we started to get involved with jungle keepers in Peru on the, in the Amazon with Nature Conservancy and with Dr. Kerry Bowman in, in, in the Congo. And that's when we decided that, you know, we're going to start to invest in these projects because these projects they're almost like startups to me they they feel very similar to lightspeed in the early stages they're scrappy and they're entrepreneurial and i'm like these stories are going to inspire people because they're ordinary people working in these uh conservation efforts and they're not well funded they're actually difficult to fund and i think that their stories are going to inspire the kind of change that that uh, that, that we want to see so that's how, how that's how those conversations got going I think that the greatest danger is that 
everybody gives up and, and loses hope. Uh, if you think about the, the collective effort we made in the 80s regarding the ozone layer, we were able to repair that. We think about very daunting challenges like biodiversity loss and climate change, but with enough collective action, those tragedies, those, those you know, oncoming uh, catastrophes, those can be avoided. You know, it's it's really up to collective action. Yeah, it's interesting. And on this subject of collective action, later this month, there's a summit of what's being called the Coalition for a Better Future, which is an organization launched this summer by two former federal cabinet ministers from different sides of the political spectrum in Canada, the Liberal Party and Conservative Party. And they said in the press release, it said they need a bold vision to save Canada's economy. And you were one of the first uh, members to sign on. I'm wondering if you can tell me a little bit about that organization and what what brought you together and what you guys are hoping to accomplish. Yeah, the, the coalition is really exciting because it's bringing together a lot of different kinds of leaders. There's business leaders, there's civic leaders, there's leaders from different social groups, environmental groups, indigenous groups. It's about re-envisioning Canada's uh, economy, Canada's competitiveness, growth through all of these different lenses and how we, we reinvent, we take, take uh, full advantage of the fact that, that the economy is transforming. Uh, and how does Canada position itself that, uh, that we benefit and that our, that our people benefit, that our, that our economy benefits from some of the reopening energy that, that we're seeing? Yeah. I mean, are there specific policies that you guys are targeting? I know in the press release, you talked about sort of reducing inequality, raising the living standard for, you know, middle class and disadvantaged Canadians. Yeah. So, you know, some of those things are areas of discussion. You know, for, for myself, I'm going to be talking at the event on the, on the 28th about innovation from a tech perspective, which is sort of what I bring to the table. Canadian tech companies are on the forefront of, of small business technology for commerce. Uh, and that's something that can benefit our, our small businesses, which are the backbone of our economy and bring, uh, you know, economic opportunity to, um, you know, people from many different communities. Uh, and not only can we create a lot of benefit, you know, here in the country, but we can also lead around the world by exporting, uh, some of that technology, exporting some of that expertise. Uh, so that's just one of the examples of, of, of ways that, um, many different perspectives at the table and, uh, not just government, but we also have civic and uh, lots of different social groups, having them all come together to devote what growth means. You know, once all these groups have come together and decided where we want to be as a country, then we can, you know, we can work with government and, and design policy. And I think that the idea is that we revisit this every year, like a business would, uh, so that we can help policymakers and we can help guide the conversation. And at the same time, I think ultimately bringing this kind of partnership together that's so multifaceted is going to, um, I, I think, also create great relationships. You know, when you have something that might be might end up in very bold policy, you've got a lot of buy-in, you've got a lot of, uh, of stakeholders that want to see it happen. Well, we'll be watching, hoping that you guys come up with some good, bold policy proposals. And I just want to thank you so much for coming on the show and talking to me, Dax. Thanks so much, Gabe. That was Dax DeSilva, founder and chief executive of Lightspeed Commerce. That's our show this week. Thank you, as always, for listening and supporting Down to Business. Original music you heard was composed and performed by Bryce Hall, who also produces the show. Yadula Hussein edits Down to Business, and Pamela Heaven and Victoria Wells provide web support. I'm Gabe Friedman, and until Down to Business returns next week, you can find all your business news at financialpost.com, where any of our five weekly newsletters delivered straight to your inbox covering the economy, finance, energy, investing, and the workplace.